Our vision is to give every baseball player around the world the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, respond to the message, and grow in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This is the Training for an Eternal Crown podcast with Full Count Ministries. Welcome to the last episode of the series on 1st and 2nd Peter, 2nd Peter chapter 3. Carter here and Chad is about to teach episode 8 of 8 where he wraps it all up in a bow for us. Again, before we jump in, I wanted to share that we have the We Are study coming up, a study on identity, which I introduced to you last week. We unpack the gospel in six devotionals that can be done in six days or six weeks. We're going to do it in six weeks in the Fall League, and it's really cool. I'm excited to share it with you. We have the patch theme through this devotional series where the gospel is presented with these patches that you can wear figuratively, and it would be cool to get these made, actually, but you and your disciples will be asked to figuratively but spiritually wear these patches, and you are challenged to respond and take that identity as a Christ follower. You respond to the gospel. You take that active approach and believe it and run with it. So I'm excited for it. Chad, take the mic and take us through 2 Peter chapter 3. What does Peter want to drive home for us in this last chapter? This is the Training for an Eternal Crown podcast. Hello, Full Count. This is Chad Hutton. We're covering 2 Peter chapter 3 in the podcast today. This is the last recording for our series of First and Second Peter. It's been really exciting. And as you know, Simon Peter has written this letter. This is uh, the last letter he wrote before he, would mar- he was martyred, uh, crucified upside down. And if you think about it, most likely he would have been a fisherman all of his life until one day, God himself, through his son Jesus, got into his boat and said, you are going to be a fisher of people. And even though Peter betrayed him and denied him, he was restored by the Lord Jesus Christ and became a leader in the church, spoke at Pentecost, and that sermon led to 3,000 people becoming Christ followers in one day, the beginning of the harvest of souls in the new covenant. And as an old man, he is still being a shepherd. He's still being a fisher of people. He is still serving the Lord Jesus until his last breath. And he mentions that this is the second letter in the first uh, verse uh, of chapter three. He calls them beloved four times and then says it a fifth time when he's talking about the apostle Paul. So he loves them very, very, very much, um, just like with Jesus You can be very powerful, you can be very masculine, and you can still provide and care for people and love people. That's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be hardcore for Jesus Christ by loving people on this planet. And obviously, Peter loved uh, these sheep. He's writing this to stir them up to get them inspired, to get them motivated, to get the juices going. He's trying to remind them to practice their faith. Go back to the fundamentals. This is kind of a pep talk that the apostle Peter is giving a final word 
before his departure. And he's reminding them that uh, the Old Testament, the old uh, prophets, uh, as well as Jesus Christ himself, uh, spoke that in the last days, and remember the last days, it's not the last hundred years of the new covenant. It's not the last seven years of the new covenant. It's not the last couple of days and years, but it's any time after the resurrection of Christ and particularly Pentecost, we've been in the last days for the last 2000 years. And so he's telling them that the Holy Prophets, in other words, the Old Testament Bible and the commandments of the Lord reminds us that there would be scoffers. And he wants us to remember all the commandments and remember that people, they're going to mock us for our beliefs. Uh, Don't forget the Great Commission, that we are to teach people to observe all the commandments of the Lord. That's not teaching people like in a lecture hall with a whiteboard. This is teaching them just like you would teach uh, a teenager to mow the lawn and weed eat. Uh, This is like teaching somebody in the kitchen to cook or teaching somebody an instrument to play or teaching somebody art. This is not with a whiteboard with a monologue. This is side by side instructing them. Jesus came to his disciples to instruct them. He didn't have he didn't lecture them. He didn't as some would say lecture the hell out of them. He showed them the way to God, the way to the Father through his lifestyle where they could reach out and touch them. They could dialogue with him. They could have Q&A with him for, for several years. And so let's think about this great commission, the commandments of Jesus. Are you doing your part? Remember, being a Christ follower is the equivalent to being a disciple maker. There is no neutral ground. You're either learning to be a disciple maker, somebody is investing in you, mentoring you, being intentional, or you already are a disciple maker. There is no in-between. So if you're a Christ follower, you're either under someone who is showing you the ropes, they're teaching you how to play the game, or you are already a coach. And as I've said in the other podcast, Jesus Christ was like the great manager, player, owner. And he expects us. And this is kind of what the Apostle Peter was. Yes, he was, he was an apostle, but he was also one of their fellow brothers in the faith. And we've got to be like that. We are either a coach, player, or we are a player learning to become a coach in the faith. Do you go to God's word every single day? And then remind others of it, sharing it, stirring up their soul. Do you stir up your soul every day by God's word in order to pass that on to someone else? That's what we're called to do. But when we live that lifestyle, there are going to be people that are are going to mock us. And we should expect that. The Old Testament prophets, they mentioned this. Jesus mentioned this would happen. It's kind of like when you're on the field playing the game and there's a man in the stands and he's just yelling all game long. He's riding you all game long. Obscenities, talking like a military drill sergeant, saying things about your mama you never knew anybody would say, but you've got to stay focused on the game. You can't listen to all that talk. 
You can't listen to that smack. And it does no good in the middle of the game to turn around and, and to, to tell the guy to get lost. You've got to keep moving. Well, there are going to be false teachers, and we may need to address them sometimes. We may need to go toe-to-toe because they're a wolf and they're trying to devour the sheep. But many times we just need to ignore them. But we have to know our own theology. We have to know the Word of God enough so that we're not led astray by them. Because what the false teachers do, what the mockers and the scoffers do, is they sow doubt. They cause us to think things like, God is not coming for us. God has forgotten us. There is no God. This is what people are saying in Noah's day. In Noah's day, people were saying, you are crazy. What is your problem? But Noah, he had faith. He knew he had to keep going. He knew that God gave him instructions and that it's it's his job just to be faithful with what the Lord told him to do. And we have to be faithful with the word of God. We've got to be faithful to make disciples. We cannot get off track but there's a lot of thorns and thistles. Uh, A lot of the cares and the pleasures of this life, especially in America, they choke out the fruit that, that Jesus Christ has bought us and purchased us for. So we've got to watch out for them. These scoffers, Peter says, deliberately overlook, dismiss, and deny the evidence of God as creator. It's kind of weird. You know, when I was growing up, Uh, When I was in middle school, I pretty much got through middle school by watching Star Trek The Next Generation and the show In Living Color. Okay, now these are two totally different types of shows, but for whatever reason, I liked it. And speaking of Star Trek, you know, I I, I like sci-fi stuff. I like Star Wars. That's all good. But have you ever thought about all that comes from an atheistic, humanistic, Darwinistic worldview where we've got to figure out how to live out in space because humanity is going to go on and on and on and on and never end, but we're going to use up all the resources on earth, so we better figure out how to live in a time capsule out in space. And if it wasn't for that atheistic worldview, we, we wouldn't even have shows and movies and books about science fiction. Maybe NASA wouldn't even exist. Maybe we wouldn't go to the moon. Maybe we wouldn't be spending billions and billions of dollars to find nothing on Mars. The bottom line is we know as Christ followers that this world is going to end. We know that Christ is coming back. We know that time is running out. The hourglass has been tipped over and the sand is dropping through the hourglass. But the world at large doesn't think like that. And we've got to be, we've got to keep pressing forward. God is going to use the elements that he made and destroy those elements. And one of the things it talks about in verse six of chapter three is that these waters, waters were meant to heal us, but they're going to be used to, they were used to destroy at one time. And just as God used the waters to destroy the earth at one time, he's going to use fire later. Now, interestingly, When you look at Genesis chapter 1, particularly verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, you notice that God took water on the earth and he separated it, and there's a canopy of water covering the globe, and then underneath there is water uh, with the oceans, the rivers, the lakes. 
And then when you look at Genesis 7, 11, you notice he burst the water from underneath and then it collapsed the water canopy above, kind of like a water balloon. Well, if you start thinking about that, you realize that the canopy of water all over the globe at the beginning was a very good thing for us. This is why Adam and Eve and all their children, grown-up children, they could be outside cultivating the land totally naked all day long and not get sunburned because the canopy of water protected against the ultraviolet rays. This would have caused a greenhouse effect. It would have meant that the vegetation would have been amazing, probably larger and tastier. We would have been, been able to breathe in more oxygen, which would have sustained life, which is why so many people live to be 900 years old before that canopy of water was collapsed. Well, just as God can create this beautiful thing, this water in the sky that would have made conditions perfect before the flood, he can also use that against us. We know that from science, the atom, the, the protons, electrons, neutrons, the molecules, they're a wonderful, beautiful, intricate thing that God created. But he can use that like an atomic bomb to destroy all of this. And so Peter is saying he does all of this by his word. He doesn't do this by magic. He doesn't wave a magical wand. He does this by his word. And the same word that Peter is getting us and the reader to, reminding them about the Old Testament, the Holy Prophets, and Jesus, and the Apostles. He's saying, be reminded of the Word of God because it's that same Word that made everything exist, and it's by that same Word everything is going to be destroyed. Christ is coming back. His Word should mean everything to us. But just like Eden, just like the tree of knowledge and good and evil, we had everything Adam and Eve had everything, but they chose the one thing that they were prohibited from being a part of. Same thing now. We've got God. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the Word of God. We've got the family of God, and we choose everything else. We've got the almighty creator of this universe, but we choose creation. We run after all this stuff that's going to be destroyed one day. And my friends, Peter is saying, don't get off track and especially don't hear the smack of false teachers, scoffers, and mockers. In other words, if you're not ready for them and you're not anticipating them, they can blindside you. So just beware of them is what Peter is saying. And so he wants to encourage them. When we live in a fallen world where there's a lot of suffering, we can start asking the question, how long is this going to last? Where is God in all of this? But remember, to God, he's outside of time. He can cer certainly get inside of time, but he created time. He was outside of it. So for him, a thousand days is just like one day, really just kind of like one moment. His time is perfect. So he, he's, it's, it's like a, a, a tortoise that's um, on a tranquilizer. Everything is slowed down. It, it's nothing to him to wait thousands and thousands of years, but there's purpose in it, Peter says. He doesn't want anybody to perish. 
Now, this is not talking about the world at large. Sometimes people use verse 9 to talk about the whole world. But really, going back to the first letter of Peter, where he calls them elect exiles, God is waiting for his elect to come into the fold. He's waiting for all the future generations of the elect to repent. He's waiting on them. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want more people to be born that are going to be separated from him, that that are going to be isolated from him, that are wicked and evil. But he so loves his bride and he's waiting. And, And his current bride right now, our job is to fulfill the Great Commission and go through all the nations, all the people groups, and minister to them and serve them and share the gospel with them. That's why God has not already come back and we can be encouraged in this world of suffering. But the day of judgment is going to come. And when it does, it's going to be a surprise like a thief in the night. All the elements of this world are going to be burned up, but they're going to be replaced by the new heavens and new earth. You'll notice in verses 10, 11, and 12, he mentions several times burned up, fire, dissolved, three different times dissolved. So if we know right now that this earth is not our home, then we're waiting and anticipating and expecting the new heavens and new earth. It's going to be a physical place, but it's going to be nothing like around here. There's going to be no corruption. There's going to be no impurity. There's going to be no evil, no wickedness. The trees are never going to... to, be corrupt. The leaves are never going to fall off the trees. There's going to be no destruction, no pain, no suffering. This world is not where it's at. And if that's true, if this world is going to be burned up and replaced like an old dirty shirt, like an old jop strap that needs to be thrown into the fire, we've got to be ready. We've got to live holy godly lives. He's basically saying, when you get to uh, verse 11, what sort of people ought you be if that's the truth? If this world is going to be burned up and we're made for the presence of God. Well, the new heavens, the new earth, the presence of God is going to fill the whole place where we don't even have the stars, sun, and the moon because the glory of the Lord is going to fill the whole place If we know that's true, what type of people ought we to be? We ought to be living just like Jesus Christ. And he's promised to come back and to get us. And he asks us, Peter says, to hasten the day that he comes back. How can you, verse 12, how can you hasten the day, the the day of the Lord, the day that he comes back? By fulfilling the Great Commission. The only way we can get Christ to come back sooner is to go out to the nations and share the gospel. He's waiting for us to go and tell. Just like the old, uh, what we used to have when you were kids, show and tell. At my school, that was always on a Friday. We would bring something in that we valued and show it to the whole class and tell about it. That's what we should do with the gospel. That's what we should do with our lives, to show and tell. When we go to the nations and do that, then Christ will come back sooner. We can hasten it by living godly, holy lives. And maybe we can't go to every nation, but we can go to one. We can look for people all around in our city that come from the nations from the outside that are coming in. I know a couple 
grew up in Alabama, moved to New York City a couple of years ago, and they minister to Punjabi Hindus. There's like 800,000 Hindus in this one area of New York City from Pakistan and Nepal and India. And this couple from Alabama, they can throw a stone in any direction and, and anybody around them, they've never heard the gospel unless this couple shares it with them. That's on American soil. We've got to do our part. He calls, Peter calls them again, beloved, in verse 14. He says, since we're waiting for this, he uses the term waiting three times in verse 12, 13, and 14. He says, be diligent. He's already mentioned, make every effort in the first chapter and in chapter two, make every effort to be holy without any wrinkle, to be at peace with Christ. The world is not at peace with Christ. The world is the enemy of Christ, but we're at peace with Christ and we can take that peace out to the world. God is being patient for us so that we can share the gospel, so the elect exiles can come into the fold. And then he goes in verse 15, he talks about the apostle Paul. It's fascinating. He mentions Paul's letters. Most likely Paul was already martyred by then. So we got all these letters from Paul. And when you go to Galatians chapter two, the apostle Paul mentions that he had to rebuke the apostle Peter to his face in front of other people publicly. Well, evidently they kissed and made up because right here, the apostle Peter is mentioning the apostle Paul in a very respectful light. And what does he call him? Beloved Paul. In other words, he had such a great respect for this man. And he says, yeah, some of his letters have a couple of things that were difficult, meaning you had to use your brain. You had to put in effort and research and understand what he was talking about. But obviously the false teachers were twisting what Paul is saying. And Peter knew that. He said, listen to Paul. But then he actually calls Paul's letters scripture in verse 16. This is explicitly saying that Paul's letters are on equal scriptural grounds as the Old Testament. Fascinating. It's right there in 2 Peter. And then he goes on to say to these sheep, be on your guard. Don't be deceived. The false teachers, they're, they're always going to be around. But if you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, you're not going to be deceived by them. That means mature. That means go from little league ball to high school ball, to college ball, to single A, to double A, to triple A, to the major leagues. Grow in your faith. Grow in the grace of Christ. And he breaks out and prays all glory and honor to Christ. He is making Christ equal God. And he's saying he's reigning right now. He deserves to be glorified right now. And we're going to glorify him for all of eternity. My friends, just like this fisherman, Simon Peter, who was not perfect, who had a lot of failures, but to the very end, he endured. Be proud of your Lord Jesus Christ. Be bold for him. Don't back down. Don't, don't bow down to the culture. Stand up for Christ. Stand up for your maker. It's important to remember that when you're a disciple of Christ, you represent him. You represent him to the very end. But we are a family, the unity, a brotherhood, a team. Encourage your teammates. Remind them. Stir them up. Get them into the word and you get into the word yourself. Share the word with them. Stay accountable. 
We have a job to do. And Christ is not coming back until we fulfill it. But his spirit is in us and we've got his word to encourage us and instruct us. Second Peter, he's got some great words for us. He shoots it straight. Read it over and over. Memorize it. Encourage somebody else with it. I love you, my friends. Stand your post. Keep glorifying the Lord by fulfilling the Great Commission. Couldn't agree more, Chad. We have a job to do. Full Count Ministries is missional, discipleship-oriented, and the men in this ministry are eager to share the gospel and love on other guys. Look for opportunities to get plugged in even more. There are opportunities all around us to follow Jesus, but we have a few with us. Uh, coach, lead a D group, go on mission, use these resources to love on some guys and fulfill that great commission. I know a lot of you are already doing that. It was a great eight weeks, guys. Thank you so much, Chad, for your knowledge and wisdom on the scriptures. We are so blessed by your teachings on this podcast, and we're so thankful for you. Look out for our next resource. We are, like I said earlier in this episode, we are going to take a break from the podcast for now. At the end of this series, I'd love for you to go to the website under the resource tab and fill out that survey for resources and tell us about your thoughts on the podcast if you have a moment. Love you guys. Have a great rest of your week into the weekend. Reach out to us anytime. God bless you guys. This is the Training for an Eternal Crown podcast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Training for an Eternal Crown podcast. You can visit our website for more resources and also find this podcast on all major platforms. Full Count Ministries exists to create disciples using the game of baseball. We are a non-profit ministry, and if you have benefited from this resource, we would encourage you to consider donating to the cause to reach every baseball player with the gospel, giving them the opportunity to respond to the gospel, and then to grow in the relationship with Jesus. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast so that you can play a part in accomplishing the mission that God has put on our hearts for baseball players around the globe. Globe.